0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. There's, there's this overarching theme throughout the Gospel of Mark, and you see it particularly in the early stages of Mark's Gospel, uh, through one, uh, chapter 1 through to chapter 7, chapter 8 of the Kingdom of God. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus declares that the kingdom is at hand. He says that the kingdom is right; it's near, it's intersecting with this world right now. And he declares that the kingdom is here. And then we see from that point, he begins to demonstrate that the kingdom is here. Demonstrates with healings, with deliverances, with uh, miracles that take place, which are evidences of the kingdom that is here right now. Then we see in, in Mark chapter 4, he begins to tell parables and I say that he is drawing the kingdom. He's giving illustration of what the kingdom looks like because the parables are the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this. And then we'll see when we get to Mark chapter 8 that he begins to in, uh, give example and demonstration of what his kingly uh, role would be on this earth, which is very much... A conflict of what the people were expecting a king to look like. And we'll see that from Mark chapter 8. He actually says that he is going to suffer and die, which they did not understand and took time. But then we see that fleshed out that this king is a king that rules and reigns supreme and sovereign, but looks different to what the kings and the systems of this world look like. And so we're jumping into Mark chapter 6 this morning with that understanding that Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of God. He's showing the kingdom of God. He's demonstrating that the kingdom of God is here. Okay? Anyone got siblings? I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up because you won't anyway. Anyone grow up with siblings? Yeah. Oh, there are some hands going up. Yeah. I got five sisters. Yeah, I know. You can pray for me. Please keep me in your prayers. Five sisters, and growing up in our household, it was like a battlefield. You know, you know what I mean. If you've got siblings, you know that there is like different parts of the house that are your territory, and then there's different parts of the house that are their territory. And uh, then you've got some neutral zones, kind of like Switzerland or something, where a- a- anything kind of, it's, it's all good times in those times. But, you know, in your home, there are as zones as siblings where it's just your place. And no one else is allowed to touch those things or go into that place. And the, the main one is your base, which is your bedroom. Yeah? And you know, this starts to get a little bit like uh, territorial when signs start to go up. You know, like stay out signs or uh, my, I got a six-year-old son and he's now put up a sign that says knock before entering. I'm like, bro, you are six. When you start contributing to the economy of this house, then you can start putting signs and demands on it. But uh, until then, I'm just entering and knocking. My, my daughter, she's got a sign. Guess what it says? No boys allowed. Come on, so I'm like ruled out of two bedrooms in the whole house. But we get these little things, these areas, which is our territory. And I remember with a lot of sisters, I used to like, I was a little bit rebellious and I was a little bit like, I pushed the system a little bit and I knew how to get on their nerves. And the best way to get on their nerves was to mess with their turf, right? So if my sister's not there, maybe just sneak in and like knock a cabbage patch doll over or something. You know, and and like just do something in a room, throw a pillow on the floor or I don't know what it might be. Just some sort of like vandalism, kid vandalism that we used to do. And I'll I'll just do this to upset them and then I'll go and hide. And I can, you, you would know what was coming. I'll just sit there, a bit of popcorn or something, just waiting. Who's been in my room? It's like a manifestation or something. Who has been in my room? That, but that was the territory, but then there was the the you know the neutral territories where we kind of had to get along, which particularly in our household was the sink. because we had to do dishes together. This was obviously before child slavery was like wiped out, when I had to do dishes in my own home. but we, we would do dishes and, and there would be like the- ter- you know, sometimes the turf war would spill out into the neutral zones. And uh, if I'm washing, there'll be a bit of a splash. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Splash, my sister, and then she'll be, "Yeah, hey, what are you doing?" And then uh, she actually spoke like that. And then she would like, you, you know, like splash me back, and I'll be like, "El esé, don't you don't you do that here, les do Don't you know I go loco? I got some sort of deep-seated trauma because when I remember my childhood, I go into uh, Think I'm like Mexican or something, but then we'd have the 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 ultimate kind of jewel, which was the tea towel. And you all know what happens with the tea towel, and then you get ready to, yeah. But I remember, yeah, you know, my mum had like this radar detector that assumed, yeah, mums are like, yeah, we can, we can hear that. And as I'd be doing that, I'd be like, Scott! And then you would just hear... It's like a slipper just comes down the hallway and knocks, the, knocks me out. She's like a gangster. Bless you mums for your discernment in the spirit. But it was like this territory turf kind of battle that was taking place in our house. And uh, there is a point of me sharing that this morning. We are right now in the biggest turf battle that has ever taken place. As Jesus announced that the kingdom of God is here, is at hand, he made a decree to the kingdom of darkness that we are coming for your territory. That which has been taken from the king is going to be taken back for his kingdom. And that all of those different territories and areas that darkness has overcome and overwhelmed, that when the, the kingdom comes, it's going to turn that all around. Are you with me this morning? That the kingdom, as we declare it and we demonstrate it, we drive out the kingdom of darkness. But I want you to know this morning that you're not just here to play a game. You're not even just here to sit and to listen, to, to even just worship. We are in the midst of warfare. And many of us are oblivious or ignorant to the fact that right now there, are, uh, there is a battle that is raging in the heavenlies, that is being outworked here on earth. And you, as a disciple of Jesus, are part of that war. We're going to read probably a bit of an obscure passage from Mark chapter 6, which is uh, found in Mark chapter 6, believe it or not. Reading from cha- uh, verse 6, I'm going to read a chunk, then we're going to break it down a little bit and look at this, okay? So. Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals but not take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have been abandoned, uh, that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Pretty heavy. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God, and they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. So until this point in time, I, I've spoken about the kingdom. Jesus was demonstrating to the disciples the kingdom. But until this point of time, they were somewhat spectators. They were watching. They were observing. They were with Jesus. They were seeing how he did it. They were watching what he did. How, what does the kingdom look like? They were listening. They were learning as he was teaching about the kingdom. And then at this point, the, the story starts to take a change. Because from this point onwards, those disciples who were, were, were like spectators are now becoming participants in the outworking of the kingdom. Jesus calls them to himself, and then he gives them authority to go and cast out impure spirits or, uh, depending what version you're reading, uh, unclean spirits. And from this point on, there is, a different, uh, there is a bit of a shift in the gospel narrative, where we see that those who have been watching are now included in the work of the gospel. Okay? But here is something we need to know genuine discipleship actually involves knowing and going. So genuine discipleship involves knowing and going. We want to read back because we see this in, in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus brings them to himself. But we read earlier in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, that Jesus called the disciples before he sent them out. It says in verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons." You see this here, it gives us example of the reason that Jesus called them. One was to be with him and then to go on his behalf. He called them first to be with him. So there is a, there is a, a need within our discipleship to know the Lord. To know who he is. To grow in the knowledge of who He is. To grow in our relationship with Him. To know Jesus. He called them first and foremost to come and be with Him. To watch how He does stuff. To learn from Him. To look at His character. To hear what He speaks about. And then it says, and then to send them out. So here is another part of discipleship. It's that we are actually called to do something in His kingdom. He gives them the authority that they need to cast out these spirits and then sends them out. So genuine discipleship is the combination of knowing and going. Not one or the other, not either or, but and. To know and to go. You see, there's dangers if we sit in either side of those camps without uh, the mixture of both. If we just want to know Jesus... And we spend all our time getting to know Jesus and learn about Jesus and, and listen and, and learn and, and lean on Him and, and all of those things. I'm not saying that that's wrong or bad. But if we just stay in that place and do nothing with what He deposits in us, then what, what happens? We become almost like spiritually malnourished where we, where we are full of the Word but there is no work coming out. But then on the other side, if we just about the actions and the going and the doing without actually knowing him, then we, we, we run the risk of misrepresenting him. I mean, how can you represent someone that you don't actually know? How can you show the world the king if you don't know the king? And so there is a mixture of the two. I, I dare say that, that within the, the Western church right now, the, the go has been diminished, the goal of the gospel, to go and preach the good news. To go and, and set people free in the name of Jesus. Because we're, we're comfortable with the, the, the kind of sitting and soaking and listening and learning. But what about the going? It's about knowing and going. And we see that this, he calls them to himself. Then he gives them authority to go out and do that which he's called them to do. So we want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Paul's cry of his ministry was, I want to know Jesus. But I also want to go for Jesus and, and share the gospel for Jesus and love people for Jesus, serve people for Jesus. So there's, a, there's the both, and they should feed into each other. Are you with me this morning? Good. But then we read on and we see that uh, Jesus gives them the authority that he had. So here's something else we want to look at. Jesus delegates kingdom authority to delegates of the kingdom. Don't you love the English language? It's so confusing at times. But Jesus delegates kingdom authority to delegates of the kingdom. Can we show that slide, Trev? With the delegate. I'm delegating you to do that, Trev. Did I delegate it wrong? It doesn't have it? There you go. So delegate, the noun, is a person who is appointed or authorized or delegated or commissioned to act in the place of another. To delegate... Means to assign authority to another. So Jesus has delegated, he has assigned authority to those that he has commissioned and authorized to be part, delegates of his kingdom. We see that the 12 are called together and that they're given responsibility to go out and do the, the ministry and the mission of Jesus. We we had this week the Queen passed away, and I'm know a lot of people will be sad about that, and we honor the the lady that she was and the the ministry that she had. But when she was getting older and frailer, we saw examples of where she was unable to go and travel to different places. And so she sent delegates on her behalf. She would send people or ambassadors or uh, envoys on on her behalf who would go out and do the, the, the work of the queen, almost as if they had been authorized by her to do exactly what she wanted to do. Do we understand that? We see that. So when Jesus calls the 12 to himself, when he calls the disciples, he is doing the exact same thing. He's saying, this is what kingdom ministry looks like. You've seen me do it, and now I give you the authority to do it. I give you the authority to go out and to do these things in my name. Have you ever asked why 12? Have you ever asked why 12? Why does he call 12 together? Have you noticed in the last two chapters, in Mark chapter 5 and now Mark chapter 6, the number 12 show up? You read last week that uh, as Jesus was going to Jairus' house, his daughter was dying. And the Bible says that she was 12 years old. As he's on the way there, there is a lady with an issue of blood who has been bleeding for 12 years. Now we see in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus calls the 12 to himself, and later on in Mark chapter 6, when he feeds the 5,000, how much is left over? 12 baskets. The number 12 starts to appear. The Jewish understanding of the number 12 was that it was representative of godly governance. 12 tribes of Israel. 12 disciples, apostles. It was symbolic Of God's kingdom. If you read in Revelation 21, the New Jerusalem, look at the dimensions, look at the jewels, 12 precious stones, 12 gates with 12 angels built on 12 foundation points. 12 symbolizes and signifies that the kingdom is here. So Jairus experienced. The kingdom. The lady with the issue of blood experienced the kingdom. Now, these 12 are being mandated and delegated the authority of the kingdom. He's called these 12 to himself to go out and to do his work. Now, they would have had some sort of understanding of what was taking place, but possibly not, well, very much not the way that he was about to do it. Because these guys had been expecting a Messiah. They had been looking toward a Messiah who would come and who would then overthrow what they thought would be the Roman Empire. Can we show the picture of the Roman Empire? Uh, Trev delegating that again. This is a map of the territories of Rome by the time that Jesus had, had come to the earth. We see that Rome was a mighty, mighty empire and they had taken so much of the land, including the people of Israel, including the Jewish people. They had been captured and now were under Roman occupation. And so they thought that the Messiah, the king, would come and deliver them from Roman occupation. Yet Jesus sends them out and shows them that there is a different kingdom that they need deliverance from. It's not just the, ki- the empire of Rome, it is the kingdom of darkness. That there is a deeper reason for him coming to this earth, which is to then overturn not just the Roman Empire, but the kingdom of darkness. Which is why he sends them out not with swords to battle and overturn in power, but to love and to serve with the towel. He sends them out to cast out evil spirits. What, what, what are evil spirits evidence of? The kingdom of darkness. They are evidence that this place or this person or this region has been captured, captured by the kingdom of darkness. And so he says, go into those places and cast those things out. Deal with them, get rid of them and proclaim that the kingdom has come. Don't go in and start battling with swords, trying to overtake flesh and blood, but we go in, we battle in the authority that He has given to clear out those places and proclaim that the kingdom is here. Can I tell you that this isn't just an a, a, a whoo, this isn't just a thing for those times. Not just a thing for this time. Let me let me throw some things in there. Do demons die? Okay, well, I'll leave that one with you to study. Because if they don't, then where are they? But he says, go and do this. Go and cast these things out. Go and deal with these things. Go, 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 and, go and, and have the authority to deal with these things that show that there is evidence of darkness there. We are still today called to go and to preach the gospel, to liberate people, to bring them to freedom. And this was the difference between their kingdoms. It's that the kingdoms of earth would come and they would dominate different nations. The kingdom of God comes and liberates. It comes and lifts off the oppression. It comes and lifts off the darkness. It comes and breaks those systems and structures that are in place that that break people down. The kingdom is totally different to the kingdoms of this earth. And so Jesus sends them out to do this. I'll share with something, and and, and this this you you think, oh yeah, that's that's nice for some people. But uh, have you ever thought about someone who is experiencing torment from their perspective, who whether it's demonic, whether it's addictive, whether it's something else, who is stuck in something that potentially they did not ask for. But that is their reality. Have you ever put yourself on that side of the coin and and asked, what about them? Do you know Jesus sends us for them? Jesus sends us to them because we carry what can set people free. We carry the very thing that can bring freedom to those people. I went on a mission trip over to India. We went to a place in Mumbai, and uh, th- there is like you, you kind of you can sense the spiritual atmospheres in these places as you walk in. And we work with a, uh, a church over there, Pastor Gabriel Nali, and uh, we we work we do some stuff with those guys. And they see a lot of new Christians come to their church. They see a lot of people get saved and come into church. And they come out of uh, real dark kind of backgrounds, real spiritual, uh, whether it's Hindu or uh, different kind of stuff that they, they mess with or that they believe in. And, and they, they get free from these things and come to this, these services. But what they do in this church is every Wednesday night they have a meeting which is kind of like a deliverance meeting. And the, the p- p- point is that newer Christians are coming in. They've got all these things that are going on and they, they actually need to get free from and then go on with their, their walk with Jesus. So we come along to this service and there, there are people coming, you know, altar calls at the end and there are people coming forward with different issues. And uh, I, I remember it was burnt into my memory, this family that I prayed for. I prayed for this lady. She came forward and she had bruises that were appearing on her arms, like as she slept. I hope I don't scare anyone, but this, this is a reality. And they, were, they would appear as she slept. And she had these terrible night terrors, she said. And she was like, can you pray for this? I pray for this lady with these bruises. And as I'm praying, I kid you not, the bruises start to clear up. The power of God comes and breaks whatever it was that was causing this. Their family is kind of like, whoa. And so they bring the next person over in their family. And they say that she's got cancer. She's, she's been diagnosed recently with a very aggressive cancer. Can we pray for her? So we pray for her. I don't know if anything actually happened. I'm believing that it did. But there was no kind of evidence or sign that anything had happened. So we pray for her. And then... So it turns out that these two are sisters, and then they bring over their next sister. I'm thinking five sisters like me. They bring over their next sister, and this, this, uh, this lady is carrying a little baby, probably like two years old. It's toddler. And this is what got me. They said to me that this baby has night terrors, wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, terrified. I look at this baby's eyes, and there is darkness in their eyes. I don't know if you've ever seen it like that before, where you can just tell that there is something not right. Like there is a darkness in this uh, in this baby's eyes. I say, let's pray for it. Put put my hand on the baby, and as I'm doing so, the baby starts to, to kind of like bend out, starts to go almost like shrieking. I'm like, no. Nah. We pray for the baby eyes start to clear up, starts to sit up properly, and then starts to smile. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm believing that this is, you know, this baby's just been set free, and that messed with my theology, because I don't understand how this baby could be influenced in the first place. So we pray for, for this baby, and I'm like, yeah, awesome. And then they bring over mom, and I'm talking through an interpreter, I'm like, what what's, what, what are we praying for, mom? <laughs> Like we got kind of whole thing. This family's got a lot of stuff going on. Anyway, he, the interpreter goes, she just wants a blessing. She's actually involved in witchcraft and all these other things, and she just wants a blessing. And I'm like, oh, so that starts to make sense now. And I'm like, I'm not going to bless her. She needs to turn to Jesus. And so we shared the gospel through an interpreter with this lady and told her that Jesus is the only way. She turns to Jesus. The rest of the girls turn to Jesus. And I prayed a blessing on her. Went home from that place that night, went back to the hotel, and I was in tears with the imprint of this kid's face. With the darkness in its eyes, thinking, how is that a thing? And from then I was like, I can't play games here. Like, that, that, that kid's like the same age as my, kid, my son at that time. Like, I would want someone to carry something to bring that child freedom. And that face is still imprinted in my mind. And I think often of this little kid with the dark eyes that got set free by the power of Jesus. Not by anything that I did, but by the power of Jesus working through. And that is a, a, is a memory for me. That there are many, many, many others in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces that are under the, the power of darkness. And need to be liberated by the power of the King. You with me? So that is not just for these 12 That is now for all disciples. Anyone who would follow after Jesus is now called to this kind of ministry, is called to be someone who would represent Jesus well. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ, meaning we carry that which the King has authorized us to into all different spheres and settings for His glory, to represent who He is, to show people that the King has come. Not just the pastors, not just those we think are anointed for this, but every single one of us. That you are called to be an ambassador for Christ. That means you represent or you represent his life into every sphere that you are engaged in. You bring Jesus into those places. You represent the king. You've been given authority to represent him in those places. And where there is an un, a misunderstanding of the spiritual dynamic, you have been authorized to carry those things, to bind certain things. You have been given spiritual authority. So walk in it. Walk in that which God has given you. Can I show you a photo? This, like, this, well, this one stirred me up again. I haven't finished with this one. Uh, can we show a photo of the, the Ellenbrook uh, Psychic Fair? Alright, right, so I'm on long service leave a couple of months ago and I checked Facebook and I see that on Sunday, the 22nd of the 5th, at 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., there is a spiritual well-being seminar being held in the Woodlake Community Centre, which is right next to our building. You can literally, if you walk from here to the back of that wall, you will be in that building. At the same time, that we're having a church service, there is a psychic fair 10 steps away. And what's on that psychic fair? Crystals, candles, healers, psychic readers, alternative spirit, food and drink. So they had coffee. It's a good thing. Plus more. Now, I saw that and I thought that the same time that we're having a church service Uh, Just across the the pathway, there are are, are a room full of people who are looking for something. Who are looking for healing. Who are looking for someone to tell them their future. Who are looking for signs of something. And it's right across the, the road from us. And that got me upset. Because I know and you know they're looking in the wrong place. And I'm like, if they would just turn left and come into our building at 10 a.m., then maybe they would find healing. You might not get your your fortune read, but you might get a prophetic encouragement or, or something that would point you in the right direction for life. And I was like, what is going on here? But then I asked the question, if they did come into our service, Would they find the potential for those things? And then I thought, next time they do this, I'm going. And we're going to get a little prayer booth and try and take some territory for the kingdom. But this place is meant to be an embassy. Where the delegates of the king gather. And so, in this space, it should be kingdom decree. That which is in the kingdom should be experienced right here in this room. That this would be, Candace prayed it this morning, this would be a sanctuary, that this would be a place of refuge, that this would be a place of kingdom atmosphere, kingdom reality where the kingdom starts to show up and where we start to see signs of the kingdom as Jairus saw, where we start to see signs of the kingdom as that lady with the issue of blood saw, where we start to see the, the signs that the king really is here. Oh, i got no time for playing games. I'm not just going to go through the service for the sake of going through a service to make ourselves feel good. We want to encounter with Jesus. We want to know the King and we want to see the King do what only the King can do. I've been praying this lately for our Sunday services. If I can leave a Sunday service without saying, wow, look at what God did. But wow, look at what we did. Then I've got to change something seeking his presence to do what only he can do, to bring revelation from his word, to heal the sick, to cast anything out, to bring deliverance, to bring freedom. That when anyone walks in those doors, there is an opportunity for heaven and the kingdom of God to be seen, experienced and manifest. And that their lives will be changed and that they would then go out as delegates. Of the kingdom. Your home, kingdom territory. Your home is a place, a kingdom embassy, to be a place where the king rules, where the king is given honor, where the king has space to do what the king wants to do. Our homes are to be embassies as well. And wherever you go, regardless of what it is you do for work, what it is you don't do for work, you can bring the hope and the life that Jesus has for you. So as these 12 went out, they were sent out with authority to do those things, to, to bring about freedom. But then I'll, I'll finish with this, because this, is, yeah, this might make us think as well. We probably don't need everything we think we need to do everything He has called us to do. Listen to what He says to them as He sends them out in verse 8. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. What is he teaching them? You really don't need anything apart from him to do the work that he's going to call you to. You don't need to rely on money. You don't need to rely on on the, the other things that maybe we would prop ourselves up with to do what he calls you to do. You just got to go in the authority and the power that he gives you. You carry more than you realize. And so he says to them, don't take all of those things. Not that those things are bad, but I want you to learn that you actually don't need them. How many times do we not do what God calls us to do because we don't have what we think we need to do what God calls us to do? When I get that, then I'll be able to do this. When I save up that much, then I'll be able to do this. I know that with with generosity. When I've got money, then I'll be generous. No. Generosity is birthed and bred in when you don't have money, when you don't have stuff. When I win the lotto, no. No. Those things become excuses that we kind of put between us and doing what God's called us to do. You actually don't need everything you probably think you need to do what he's called you to do. You just got to go in obedience and he'll provide everything you need. We actually did this. We did this literally. When I was doing an internship uh, here at at Grace Life, one of the things that we had was this practical uh, local missions trip. And the idea was to take this passage of scripture and live it out. And so we were sent out with nothing to go to a a local, like a a little country town, Nanup, if anyone's ever heard of Nanup, and uh, just to go for a couple of days with nothing and just to serve the community. It was incredible. We went and we met people. Before we went, we, we had this time of praying. We prayed for, for what do we feel God is going to do? What does he want to say? showed us some different stuff. I had a picture of these two barns that were on fire. I drew it on a whiteboard, and I was like, what is the burning barns? Maybe we're going to like save some chickens or something. Anyway, we, we go to Nanup, and we, we're just walking around the town looking for you know, people that we can serve. What can we do in your, in your community? Met these people, met these horse people, not like horse people, but people with horses. That would have been a weird story. <laughs> Met these people with horses and then we like went and served them. And then they ended up bringing us over for dinner. They put on a big dinner for all of us. So I think there was like six of us there. And then they you know, asked us when we left to just bless their house, to pray for them. Uh, they fed us. So we had no money. We had no food. We are literally living off the kindness of, of everyone else. And then we saw the, oh, I saw the barns, the fire barns. It was the fire station. And we went to, the, to the, the fire station and we just said, is there anything, you know, we're from a church in Perth and we've just come down to serve your community. Is there anything we can do? And we ended up washing the fire trucks and building a relationship with those guys in the fire service. We didn't need a million dollar budget. We didn't need all of these different things that maybe we think we need to do ministry All we needed was to go in the authority that he has given with the spirit that he has given to represent him well. You have been given more than you realize. You carry more than you realize. And you don't need everything you think you need to do what he's called you to do. The disciples you'll see later that they they come back to Jesus and they tell him everything that they have done. Everything that they've taught. And then he says, come, we're going to rest. There was a transition from spectating, from watching, from seeing him do it to now moving with him. I feel today there's going to be a transition from spectating, from watching to now doing the work and the ministry with him in a greater level. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website, at gracelife.com.au